Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. God, we thank you for this time we've got, and we thank you for uh, placing us in this text tonight, in this unique time in, in our history. And Lord, we're just, we're here and we're coming to you and we're depending upon you. And that is the best possible position we can be in to just trust you and to get to know you better as we study your word. And we're so thankful, Lord, that we get to be on this journey together and that we get to meet a very unique character with a very unique family tonight in the text. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are in Judges 13, just Judges 13. So if you're wondering, well, gosh, it's taken a long time to get to it. Well, we're not going through four chapters tonight. It's just one chapter. And well, next week, I think it's going to be two because uh, Samson will be an adult. and He's going to you know, have women issues, and we're going to go through some of those things. And uh, Samson's going to have a lot of women issues. You know, those of you who know the Samson story, you understand that already. Um, but, but anyway, uh, so here we are. Uh, Samson is a major judge, so the judges cycle at the top applies. Um, and welcome everybody here. Also, welcome everybody in podcast land who's listening to this. Um, the judges cycle Israel's apostasy, then Yahweh's anger, and in Yahweh's the time of Yahweh's anger, he sends you know he, Israel is is up against it, or they're they're being conquered or whatnot, and usually they cry out. And then God shows compassion by raising a judge. And then after the judge dies, the cycle continues. And um, let's just begin. We're in uh, chapter 13, just verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Oh, my goodness. 40 years. That, if you're taking uh, your mental note there, that is twice as long as the longest captivity in Judges. That was in the Deborah Barak story. They had 20 years. And so this is double that. And one of the things that we're expecting as a reader, as a listener, is for Israel at some point to start crying out. Because I mentioned that's part of the cycle. They cry out. It's going to be absent. They're not going to cry out. We're expecting them to cry out after 40 years. And we're going to be left to wonder, like, are they just taking it? Are they just resolved that this is now the new, well, there's a phrase for today, the new normal. Is this their new normal? Um, I, we're expecting them to call out and cry out or something. Nothing. Well, why, why would the Israelites be in that position? So I just, I just put two verses from the earlier in Judges for you. The first one, Judges 6, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. Oh. So maybe in the back of Israel's mind, they're thinking, ah, yes, we're, we're, maybe we can't. 
maybe, maybe we just, we don't deserve it anymore. We don't deserve to be delivered. Maybe we just, God's called us out and we're not, well, what about uh, Judges 10? Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord, we have sinned against you, forsaking our God and serving the Baals. The Lord replied, when the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the, the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me for help, did I not save you from their hands? But you have forsaken me and served other gods, so I will no longer save you. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them save you when you're in trouble. They were trying to manipulate God. They were trying to play some kind of game with God, and God called them out. God, and maybe they think, well, maybe we can't turn to God anymore. We just have to take, we have to take this. Maybe they don't care. I don't know what's going on, but these verses we've already come across in Judges so far, and God has called them on their, on their garbage. He's called them on their manipulation. He's called them on the way they've treated him. Maybe they couldn't cry out. Maybe they had nothing. Um, maybe they're just going to accept this as, and give up. Um, and we have to, we have to, from our standpoint, we have to ask this question. Okay, God, you said your peace. Are you going to let them suffer? Are you going to rise up somebody? Because he didn't, he didn't raise up Abimelech. He raised up Gideon. He didn't raise up Abimelech. He didn't really raise up Jephthah. Who's next? Who's possibly going to help Israel? God just said, I'm not going to do it anymore. But God, will you deliver them? At some point, will 40 years be too much? Will you raise somebody up? We're left with that tension. We want to say, God, come on. They're your people. I know they don't deserve a thing. I don't either. And all of you listening to me right now, we don't deserve any kind of mercy from God. That's why it's called grace, because you can't earn it. Or you can't deserve it or anything like that. And I know I've mentioned that most weeks, but we can't forget that. Because the moment you can say to God, God, I earned this, or God, I deserve this, you kind of have God over the barrel there. And God has to, we'll have to say, well, I guess you're right. You know, here, here we go. No. We, and so we got to throw ourselves in Israel's shoes. What's going to happen with them? There's a tension here. We're hoping, we're rooting that God's going to deliver them. That maybe God will send one final judge. Maybe he'll just do it one more time. Maybe they'll get one last chance. Maybe one more. Well, God's going to show, so Israel's apostasy and Yahweh's anger there. Um, yeah. But then Yahweh's compassion. And this is going to be the most unique thing. It's going to be one step beyond Gideon. Gideon got a theophany. Samson's family? They're getting two. What? Here's the first theophany, like an appearance of God in the flesh somehow. Yeah. Three to seven. On this section, two to seven. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah. So he gets a name. The real hero of the story, like the wife, she gets nothing. She's just a wife. She's just a woman. She, she gets no name at all. This, this bozo, Manoah, he gets a name, but his wife does not. We're going to like his wife. We're not going to like Manoah. We're just not going to. The more I read this text, I just don't like Manoah very well. I think I like the wife. I think she's a good character. I think she responds nicely, but, but the, the, yeah, okay. 
A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. Okay, original readers are going, oh, geez, what did she do? Boy, shame. Man. That's just, what kind of life does she have? The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, how about this for an opening line? You see somebody in this miraculous vision. You are barren and childless. Thanks. But you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now, see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from. He didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. So we've got two predictions here, don't we? And the two predictions is, the first is that the barren wife will have a son. Okay, the best possible news for her. Now she would of course take in a daughter, but a son, oh my goodness. Barren, you can have a son. And he's going to be a Nazarite. Oh, my goodness. We'll get to more on that in just a second. Second, the second prediction is that this son is going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. Wow. I mean, best possible news twice. No wonder she wanted to run to tell her husband. Now, if you'll, if you'll permit me, I'm going to stop the share on this lesson. And I want to pull up the verses for Nazarites. Just give me one second. I'm going to stop the share. And I'm going to open up, I'm going to, I'm going to share the verses for the Nazarite. Okay, please, please behave. Okay, and it looks like it's not behaving. So, um, hold on, let me pull it up here that way. Maybe it'll do it, maybe it'll do it. All right, one second. Okay, let's try sharing one more time. And here it is. Okay, good. These are, okay. The Lord said to Moses, so in the Hebrew, Yahweh said to Moshe, speak to the Israelites and say to them, if a man or woman, and don't skip that. The Nazarite was going to be such a special thing that think of it like in, in, in the Old Testament world, the closest person to God, at least in the, the, the system, was the priest. The priest, especially the high priest, there's no one closer to God than that guy, especially the high priest, especially, you know, Moses and, and, and Aaron, they literally get to see God. So God put in place a special vow called the Nazarite vow, where somebody for a short period of time could have special closeness with God, a very unique closeness with God that no one else got to have. It was an expensive ordeal. It had a lot of rules and regulations, but a man or woman. A woman could be a Nazarite. No problem at all. A vow of dedication to the Lord is a Nazarite. It's like, God, you're so holy. I want to be holy with you. It's literally being holy as he is holy. I'm going to be so close to you, God, for this short period of time. is a special, special thing. 
They must abstain from wine and other fermented drink. They must not drink vinegar made from wine or other fermented drink. They must not drink grape juice or eat grapes or raisins. As long as they remain under the Nazarite vow, they must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. During the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. Throughout the period of their dedication to the Lord, the Nazarite must not go near a dead body. Even if their own father or mother or brother or sister dies, they must not make themselves ceremonially unclean on account of them, because the symbol of their dedication to God is on their head. Throughout the period of their dedication, they are consecrated to the Lord. What other things are consecrated to the Lord? I don't know, things like the tabernacle, the temple, it's like very, very the special objects in the Ark of the Covenant. All those were consecrated to the Lord. The linen ephod, the, the breastplate, the, the, the urim and the tumim, all these things the priest wears, all consecrated. So for this time, you're like them. Wow. Okay. If somebody dies suddenly in the Nazarite's presence, thus defiling the hair that symbolized their dedication, they must shave their head on the seventh day, the day of their cleansing. Then on the eighth day, they must bring two doves or two young pigeons to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting. The priest is offered one as a sin offering, the other as a burnt offering to make atonement for the Nazarite. Because they sinned by being in the presence of the dead body. That same day, they are to consecrate their head again. They must rededicate themselves to the Lord for the same period of dedication and must bring a year-old male lamb as a guilt offering. The previous days, they don't count because they came... They became defiled during the period of dedication. That's in number six. I'm going to bring our lesson back up here. Think about those things as we go through the Samson story. He's going to be the worst Nazarite ever. Spoiler alert. Just saying. Think about all those regulations. The special, special guy. Okay. Observations concerning this nameless wife. Um, well, she describes this person as an angel of God. This would be the angel of the Lord. This is a unique character in the Bible that is not God, but also is God. He's separate from God, the Father, but he receives worship. See, anybody who says Jesus is not in the Old Testament or the concept of, of, of there being multiple, like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, a Trinity, like, oh, no, God is one. What do you do with the angel of the Lord? As we're going to see here today, the angel of the Lord is going to accept worship. He's going to be part of a worship service, whereas every other angel in the Bible is like, no, don't worship me, Daniel. Don't worship me. You know, no way. Don't worship me, John, in Revelation. No, I'm just like you. No, don't, I don't accept worship at all. The angel of the Lord? He's more than an angel. And so already there's a second character that receives worship in the Old Testament. I mean, so we're not surprised when, and by the time of the New Testament, we have a father and a son and the Holy Spirit. Okay, there, there's multiple people that are, and God has multiple persons, even in the Old Testament. I digress. She calls him an angel, a man of God. Um, yeah, she recognized him as a divine being. But she doesn't quite understand that she's witnessing a theophany or an appearance of God. Second, she states, I didn't ask where he came from. He didn't tell me his name. Just ponder for a second. Had she asked those questions? 
we're going to see this angel not, not put up with Manoa asking these questions. But it's kind of like my dog. My dog puts up with every female in my family. All the males in my family, she's like, oh, I don't want anything to do with that boy. But she puts up with my daughter. It's like this angel of the Lord, he's, he treats this, this woman here kindly. It, it's like he doesn't shy away from her. Her husband in a few minutes here, her husband, he's, he's not going to answer any of his questions. He's just not whatever. But imagine how she asked, what's your name and where you're from? The kind of story this angel could have told. Make text it in. God doesn't share worship besides the angel of the Lord. The only other person to receive worship in the Old Testament is the son of man. That's right. Daniel 7. And there we go. He just received worship. And the ancient of days didn't smite him for receiving worship. He just, there it is. Uh, third, uh, she, she added a line, didn't she? She added about to the Nazarite vow. The angel didn't say that till the day of his death. Maybe it was implied, but so essentially what, from what the woman is saying here is that Samson is, is the, the person we're going to meet as Samson. He's going to be a Nazarite till he's dead. And this is a lifelong thing. So, yeah. So there you go. So that'd be the, the, uh, the vow would be never over. Whereas, as I read to you from number six, that vow was temporary. It had a time limit. Eventually it was coming to an end. This person's Nazarite vow, not only does he have no, um, he has no decision in it, he's just conceived in the womb and he's a Nazarite, but it's always going to be there. This would have been something his mom and dad would have probably told him a lot growing up. You're a special kid. There's something different about you. You're a special kid. And they would have had to. It's like you had to keep, you had to keep the regulations going here. You had to keep reminding, I don't know, Samson, you know, we're not, we're not going to have wine at, at dinner tonight because you know what, we don't want it spilling or, uh, or taking great pains never to have someone die by Samson. I don't know. Samson's such a unique person. His vow never ends. He doesn't have to go to the priest or so. I don't even know how that works, but he's just, he's special. Yeah, Daniel texted in, the angel of the Lord is pretty much the precursor to Jesus. In terms of our understanding of, if nothing else, two in one, and then we understand more about, we, we meet another character in, in the Bible that kind of is in the same category, and that's in the book of Proverbs, and that's Lady Wisdom, where it's kind of like the Spirit of God, but Lady Wisdom is a very special character where it's, it's representing God's wisdom, and Lady Wisdom up against Madam Folly, and that these two women in Proverbs, what woman are you going to follow kind of thing, and so, uh, yeah, that text in, what a Nazarite partake in communion, the wine drinking, well, good news is, is that there's no communion yet. So uh, yeah, so we have um, uh, the second theophany, 8 to 23. Here we go. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, which is good. It's always good to pray. Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to come to us again, to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah. And the angel of the Lord came again to the woman. While she was out in the field, he came again to the woman, not to Manoah, but to the woman. All right. But her husband, Manoah, was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here. The man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife? Let's get uh, another person in here. Okay. Are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, he said. Uh, 
you know I'm going to make mention of that I am, don't you? That I am is one word in Hebrew, ani. It is not the same I am as the burning bush. The I, I that is uh, that's a variation of Yahweh, Ehye. So that's but this um, in Genesis 17, um, in a moment similar to this, a theophany with Abraham, um, he's going to say, he's going to, God's going to say his name to Abraham, or actually to Abram at that point. He's going to say, Ani El Shaddai, I am God Almighty. In Genesis 28, the Jacob, he's going to call himself Ani Yahweh, the God of your father Abraham and also of Isaac. It's a very special pronoun for God. God uses that pronoun, Ani, to, to, to bring up his name. It means I am. And all the angel just says here is, Ani, I am. Now that was about 20 minutes of Hebrew research for me, but that knocked my socks off. I liked that. Nothing happens here with that I am. The rest of us, the rest of scripture, we understand how I am plays out. He just says, I am. Yeah. Maybe there's nothing there. I don't know. That meant something to me. Uh, I am. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I told her to do. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine nor drink any wine or fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I've commanded her. It's like, I already told the woman. I, why do I got to tell you? Listen to her. All right. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. Oh, geez. We're thinking of Gideon, aren't we? Is this going to be the Gideon story all over again? <sighs> the angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. I'm telling you, not God, but also God. Also acting like God and like receiving things. Okay, here it is. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It's beyond understanding. Another translation. His name is wonderful. That's wonderful. But take it literally. Like we say, oh, those tacos are awesome. Really? Do they really in inspire and evoke awe? Wonderful. That which inspires and evokes wonder. That's what his name is. This is like Jack Nicholson saying, you can't handle the truth. What's the truth? You can't handle the Manoah, you can't handle this guy's name. It's beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with a grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces on the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife. Again, 
They don't have TV with surround sound speakers. They don't have CGI in their movies. They don't even have movies. They got nothing. They have no category for this. So they might be thinking, well, he's going to come back because, you know, this never happens before. Where's he at? You know, come on, where, where'd he go? They're not expecting this. But when they saw he didn't come back, oh, he didn't show himself again. Manoah realized it was the angel of the Lord. We're doomed to die. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown all these things, us all these things, or now told us this. And of course, she's exactly right. She's the voice of reason in this family. And uh, that man's very lucky to have a woman like her. Oh, the doubts of Manoah. When I prepared this lesson, I actually prepared this originally years ago. Um, I was hard on Manoah. I worked him over. It was almost like I was whipping him like Gideon. I'm not going to be as hard on him. I'm just going to let I'm going to let his story sit with you. And um, yeah, oh yeah, Rachel takes that. What about Passover? That's right. They would have, they would have drunk wine at Passover. I forgot about that. Um, there would be uh, the communion wouldn't happen, but but the Passover meal, which would you know, of course, is the uh, what Christ uses as the image for communion. Yeah, drinking wine. The Nazarite wouldn't have been able to drink wine. The Nazarite wouldn't have been able to participate in communion. It would be, um, but yeah, especially with uh, it would be clean food. He could participate in that, but the wine party couldn't. Um, but yeah, so that would be something a Nazarite just couldn't do. And every, it would have been the greatest honor for a community to have a Nazarite. Someone doing that vow, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're, we're from that town that has a Nazarite that just completed her vow. Yeah, we can still smell the hair that just got burnt on the altar. And yeah, she's the holy one. Yeah, yeah, we all know her. And everybody has a family member who's like, yep, that's our, that's our person in our family that everyone looks up to. Or what? Yeah, the Nazarite would have that. I mean, the status right there. So everybody would have gone out of their way to protect that Nazarite. Say, no, 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 no wine for you. No, 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 no. It's like you would do that today with a, with a, a pregnant member of your family. Like, okay, you're not going to have the alcohol. Come on now. You get the virgin daiquiri. You don't get the real one. Come on. You know, you would play games like that with a pregnant person in your family. Now imagine that with a Nazarite. It's like now now these are the things of God. And it's like a huge, you know, wow. I mean, and, and, and to complete a Nazarite vow, you got to basically sacrifice a Camaro. It's like you have all these things you got to sacrifice. It was a major undertaking. I digress. Yes, uh, Mick says she's out working in the field. Manoa isn't. Sorry, I missed that. Yes, yeah, we, who knows where he's at? He got up. Maybe he's on the couch. Who knows? Okay, well, yeah, Manoa has a weird reaction. He's just kind of cynical about these things, but, you know, he doesn't have a category for these things. Why would he believe with his wife? His wife was just a woman. That's not, I mean, that's obviously sexist. That's obviously not the way we believe now, but in his time period, she, she not only was a woman, but she wasn't even able to do her most critical function to the world and to the family, which has produced children. And I'm not trying to be crass, but I got to imagine in Manoa's eyes, she wouldn't have had a lot of value. And we see that playing out a bit where Manoa, he wants, it's like, he's got to come to me. All right. There's a little bit of machismo there probably, but you know what? What you told to her, you're the one talking to my wife. You know, I'm the one here. You bring it here. You know, let me have these great words. 
I'm sick of her having the great words. I want the, I don't know. I don't want to speak for the man or put words in his mouth, but we're just seeing what he's going through here. And we're seeing just some, some doubt, some cynicism. We're seeing um, an unwillingness to believe here. I don't want to beat up on him more. I just want to let that sit there. He's just not, I, I think she is more of a paragon of faith, but not him. Okay. There's just something about him that is just not, yeah, it's just not, it's like, oh, come on, Manoa. I mean, I don't want to beat up on him too much because I don't know what I would do in his position. Not that that means anything, but, um, but there, he has some comparisons. We already mentioned them. We have Gideon and Gideon, of course, wanted to seek favor from God when God shows up and made him a meal. Um, and he did pray, pray in verse eight. You're right, Mick. Um, he did, he did pray. There's things he did that was right. You know, he, he actually wanted God to come back and God answered his, it said the Lord heard Manoah. It's like he, God answered his prayer. He has some good qualities too. I'm not beating up on him totally, but so Gideon's an Old Testament comparison. Um, uh, Manoah is going to want reassurance. Gideon wanted a ton of reassurance. Gideon wanted God to stop the laws of physics twice for reassurance or at least once. Um, another one would be uh, Abraham in Genesis 18 and, you know, and the, the three visitors and Abraham cooked for him. He and Sarah cooked for him and they ate. Um, that's something similar here. Um, what's the reason why um, the angel of the Lord did not eat with them? Well, by this time, there was a noted pagan practice that if you were to feed a God, he would be indebted to you. And so you would want to feed the God. Stay and eat. Stay and eat. We don't quite know if that was in the Gideon story. Not so much, but it's a little bit more here. Because right away, he's like, no, no, uh, you, you detain me fine. I'll put up with you cooking everything. You can make your whole stinking meal or whatnot. I'll wait here. I'll let you detain me, but I'm not going to eat it. All right. So the, the God took great lengths through his angel, the angel of the Lord, to not eat the food. So he's like, God, we've already discussed this, Israel. You're not going to manipulate God. You're not going to have that with God. And so God's not going to play. And that's the next thing. God doesn't play around here. And, uh, you know, Jacob would be a third one. So the three Old Testament comparisons, Gideon in chapter 6 of Judges, Abraham in Genesis 18, and Jacob in Genesis 32. Um, you know, Jacob had just wrestled for hours. He just wanted to have a name. Who's this guy I've been wrestling with all day and night? You know, what is this? And he just wanted a name. And God, you know, let him know. Here, Manoah wants a name, but again, you got the pagan element here. And the pagan element is, and we saw this in Jesus' day too, because what's the first thing the demons do? We know who you are, Jesus, the Holy One of God, as if I'm going to say your name, and then I've got you. God doesn't play around here. Do you know my name? You, don't, you couldn't possibly know my name or understand my name. We kind of wish his wife asked that question in the beginning, but she went to great length and said, I didn't ask his name or where he came from. Because it sounds like the guy might have told her. But Manoa, no. Well, those are three Old Testament comparisons there, and God doesn't play around. What about the fulfillment of the promise? 24 and 25. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him. 
And the spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanedan between Zorah and Ashtaol. This is where it gets a little odd. The name of the child. If you remember your English literature classes as a, as a, as a kid or a younger student, you learn this word, foreshadowing. You'll see something at the beginning of the story, and it will foreshadow a theme or something happening towards the end. Okay, you're going to see that. You know, we kind of see that a good, a good, the most famous example of foreshadowing probably would be in Genesis, the, the, the gospel story, but you, you're going to, you're going to strike the serpent's head. He's going to strike, you're going to kill him. He's going to strike the heel. Or how about when on the plains of Galilee, when, uh, when John the Baptist said, behold, the lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. Gee, was that what Jesus was going to do? Yes. It's like, boom. It's like foreshadowing. Here's some weird foreshadowing. I can't. An original reader would have looked at this and gone, what? You've got to be kidding me. And uh, you're right, Mick, and I'll get through this in a second. And Mick's quick on the trigger, Samson, the pagan name. It is, and here's why. I'm going I'm to get into the Hebrew there for you because it's interesting. It was to me, and it's necessary to understand this text. You must understand. It, it ties everything together. So the name of the child uh, the wife of Manoah, she so she so showed so much promise, and we're told in the text that she gave him the name. And so, this is like mommy naming the kid. As you know, other times we see the husbands or the fathers naming the kid. This is the the, the mom naming the kid, and you know that might have just been a literary device. Maybe they were you know together in on the decision and who's going to name the kid, and then, and then the mommy got to proclaim it over the. I don't know, but just taking the text at face value, this is on the wife on this nameless woman. And she had just witnessed the awesome power of God. She just saw the angel of Yahweh. You would think the child would receive a very Yahweh-oriented name. So I'll just use English versions. Isaiah, Jeremiah, even my name. My name is a Yahweh-oriented name. Uh, my name in Hebrew is Yoel. It means Yahweh is God. And Yo just happens to be an abbreviation, like a nickname for Yah, as much as that makes sense. So my name, though my name is not Yael, it's Yoel. And so you've got, there, there's an element of Yahweh in my name. There's, we were expecting her to go, okay, wow, this is no normal kid. He's going to get the most Yahweh-oriented name possible. What does he get? Yeah, yeah, Mick, you nailed it. Um, okay. His name in Hebrew is Shimshon. Now, that's not me trying to make some kind of weird like, Chinese pronunciation or something like that. We, we encountered that Hebrew letter last week. Remember the big test on the Ephraimites when they tried to catch him and round them all up and they mixed in the crowd. And what did they tell him to do? Tell him to say the word Shimboleth. And they couldn't say sh-iboleth. They had to say s-iboleth. They couldn't say the sh sound. It, there, there's two Hebrew letters, a sh and a s, and they're back to back in, 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 the, in the alphabet there. And so, so Samson is really sh, sh. It's two of the sheen and not the seen, two of the sh sounds. So it's really, and, and Hebrew is all about consonants. In, in the original Hebrew, there are no vowels. You cannot find any vowels anywhere. 
And there are certain vowels that have a consonant about them, but that are part of the vowel, but they're really a consonant. But you pronounce them like a vowel. Hebrew is like that. When I study Hebrew in seminary, when I, when I break out my Hebrew Bible and look at it and try to find some things, um, in my lexicon that I go through, the vowels are pointed in there so that a gringo like me could read it. Okay? Or a going in a Gentile like me could read it. Okay, fine. But the original language, you've got Samson to be sh, m, 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 sh, m, sh, m. Okay, shim, shon. Why do I bring that up? Because when you learn Hebrew, the way you understand the language, you look at those consonants and that you learn your consonant pairs and your trios. You find out what consonants go together. And when you find out what three go together and you learn, oh yeah, that's what that word means. And every other word that's like that word is gonna have the same three consonants every time. All the cousin words, all the brother and sister, all those things will all have those same three. And it makes learning Hebrew a little bit easier and logical. Every participle, every verb form, everything like that will have the same three. So here we have SH, M, SH. What word in the Hebrew language has SH, M, SH? It's this, Shemesh. Shemesh, which is the underpinnings of the word that she named him, Shimshon, Shemesh, is the Hebrew word that's not really a Hebrew word. It's for sun. Like, you know, the sun rises up and goes down. Okay, that sun. The one that you get a sunburn, that S-U-N, sun. In the time, the Canaanites had, um, in their pantheon, they had a moon god and a sun goddess. The moon god was Yarik. He's famous for his city, Yarik Hol, Jericho. And the sun goddess, they called, in, in the like Akkadian or Assyrian, they called her Sharpu. But the English, or the, 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 the Hebrew took on a Shemesh. So Shemesh was the sun goddess, wife of, of, of Yarik and daughter of the main god. We're expecting this great Yahweh-themed name. And she names him after the sun goddess. Uh, a god of their neighbors. Wow. The grace of God. Even with such a name given to his appointed deliverer, Yahweh still shows his amazing grace. By his grace, Samson still grows and is blessed. The spirit still stirs. Yahweh will accomplish what he predicted no matter what. That should give us hope, especially in this election season, especially as we're tempted to Psalm 146 to put our trust in princes instead of in Almighty God himself. This, the Lord still works. The circumstances of our life can be messed up and crazy. The spirit still stirs. God still works. But we got to close with this, some audience expectations. Oh, my goodness. Um, so there's a term in our culture called like white privilege or privilege is used for that way, where you've got so many advantages. The, the way the argument goes is that cer certain person based upon uh, we in generations prior, we said things like they were born with a silver spoon or something like that. They had certain advantages that just came with how they were raised or whatever they had. Their parents had means or whatever, the, or they were born in this country, not in this country, whatever it is. 
Samson is going to have some of the greatest privilege and advantages over, you could argue, almost any other character in the Old Testament, maybe in the Bible. Name the list of babies that are in Samson's, <laughs> that are in Samson's category. I counted two. John the Baptist, the most unique man and only man of all time. That's from the words of Christ himself and Jesus. And he's not just a man. John the Baptist is just a man. Jesus is not. He's also God. And Samson. Shimshon. We're expecting so much of Samson. We're expecting him to just blow up with amazing, wonderful, godly things. We're expecting him to finally be another Othniel, the very first judge. We're expecting him to be this amazing, amazing God-centered deliverer that finally, even though Israel doesn't deserve a lick of this, even though they have 40 years of this nonsense, even though it's the scary Philistines, that God's going to raise up someone who's going to be a Nazar. I mean, oh my God goodness we are expecting the audience is going whoa this is a moment right here this is going to be that guy you see later israel will be that way with the messiah each new son of david they're going to be saying all right he's a son of david but is he going to be the son of david and there would be this Passover messianic fervor every year. It's like, yeah, here it is. Maybe we're going to meet the Messiah. Maybe he's going to come. And so finally he did. There's a lot of expectations in this boy. The spirit is on him. I don't want to downplay that and go, oh, that's just the Old Testament. The dude's a Nazarite. While he's an embryo in the womb, he's a good object lesson about the sacredness of life. Sperm met egg in that woman's belly, or in that woman's fallopian tubes, to them, their belly. And all of a sudden, he's the most sacred thing in that entire culture, right then and there. Yeah, make texting in. Talk about setting a bad precedent. Thank God for John the Baptist and Jesus not being like Sammy Boy here. Yeah. He's one of three. This is the most, you could argue, Samson's the most unique person in the entire Old Testament. I, I don't think you could argue the whole Bible because of John the Baptist and Jesus. But you could argue. Because the, his, closest his closest person would be John the Baptist with the kind of way that John the Baptist would, would be raised and how he was going to live. The specialist about him, that, that's his closest partner here. But the audience expectations are through the roof amazingness. And Samson, yeah, Daniel is saying Samson's such a disappointment. Foreshadowing here. The foreshadowing is, mom, you should have named him something God glorifying because we're expecting him to be God glorifying. We're expecting him to be a Nazarite and to deliver. And as we get into the next chapters, we're going to be pulling our hair out and going, geez, what great promise. Can he turn into that?
I mean, seriously, that? You do those things? You, Samson, come on. Oh, he's going to be such a disappointment. And yet he's going to make the Hall of Fame. God uses whatever faith is there. Our faith is really about God and less about you. And how God, you know, when Jesus says a faith like a mustard seed, it's not really about that mustard seed. It's about that faith. God uses what's there. Yeah. Ruth, nice, nice text. Um, oh yeah, Rachel first. I know he wasn't a Nazarite, but Samuel's a little bit similar. Samuel is similar. In fact, very similar. Um, yeah, it's the promised baby and to give the baby up. Yeah, this Samson, excuse me, Samuel, who is going to be the final judge and the precursor to the kings. But yeah, that's that's a good good, good comparison. It's very, very unique character. Um, uh, Ruth texted in, my grandma used to say, give a dog a bad name and he'll bite you. We might see that here is with old Shimshong. Uh, Shimshong. All right. Well, you know what? This is a good story. We got to continue it next week. And Samson is going to be an, uh, an adult next week. And he's going to be, um, he's going to be ready for a woman. We'll just put it that way. And we're going to see what he's going to be at that time of his life where he's going to go sow his royal oats or wild oats or something. Um, I tried to clean that up because it's not, it's not easy to clean up Samson, but uh, we're going to see it next week. God bless you guys. Uh, we will continue the Samson story next week. A boy named Sue. There you go. Uh, thanks, Mick. God bless you. And uh, we will, we'll rock on next week. All right.